We are in day 26 of January. Um, as many of you may have heard before, that it takes 21 days to establish a new habit or a new pattern in your life. And then it takes a series of subsequent 21 days at a time to reinforce those habits. And I am hoping that we've taken this content and that we've applied it to our lives to create new habits of prayer, to create new habits of time in the word that we can reinforce all year long so that we can be a people of prayer. Amen. Yes. Say, God, make me a person of prayer. Yes. <laughs> Tonight I get to talk on the topic prayer that changes a nation. I've entitled this sermon, pray through your pain. Your nation awaits pray through the pain. Your nation awaits tonight. We're going for a deep dive into the riveting book of Esther. If you're like me, you might've grown up thinking Esther is somewhat like Cinderella, a young girl who suffers hardship when her parents pass away. And then one day she meets the prince or in Esther's case, the king, they fall in love. They get married. They live happily ever after. How romantic to be Esther, to be chosen by the king, to be lavish with jewels and perfume and spa treatments and to rise from nothing to queendom. Yes, that's every little girl's dream. I was sad to learn, and you may be also, that this story is more like a nightmare. It's not a Cinderella story at all. There are no fairy godmothers waiting to explain what's happening. There are no friendly mice or twittering birds to accompany Esther in her beautification process. And there is no midnight that will allow her to escape the frightening realities that she's about to face. Tonight, I hope that we could observe together how Esther developed a lifestyle of prayer that propelled her through pain and into God's purpose, and how an entire nation was changed because of it. I pray that we can see ourselves somewhere throughout this story and feel the hope of Jesus rise in our hearts for the nations that he has called us to impact. I want to give you a quick heads up for those of you in the room with little ears around. There is sensitive content in this story, so please use your discretion as you see fit. Can we pray together? God, we thank you tonight for your presence here. We thank you, God, for how you've already moved in our hearts. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are calling us higher and deeper in you, that you are calling us to be prayer, to be a people of prayer. Help us tonight, God, to see you in this story and to be freshly inspired. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll begin with our anchor text, and then I'll fill us in on what's been happening leading up to that point. You know the movies that begin with a scene toward the end and then fill in the details all, all along the way? It's going to kind of be that kind of night tonight. So our anchor text tonight is Esther chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. If you'd like to turn there with me, we can read. You can read along as I read it. Here we go. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the Jews are killed. Verse 14, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen 
for such a time as this. There are many characters throughout this story, but tonight for our time together, we're going to focus on these four people. The first one is Esther. Say Esther. She's the main character and spoiler alert, she's the heroine. Mordecai, say Mordecai. He is Esther's older cousin who has adopted her. And then we have Xerxes, say Xerxes. He's also called by another name that I can't pronounce, so we'll just use that name for tonight. And he is the king, everybody. Xerxes is the king. And then we have Haman, say Haman. Haman is the king's highest appointed official. Now, summarizing in my own words, here's the story from the beginning. Just call it story time with Tiffany. King Xerxes is 41 years old and he's in charge. He has divorced and banished his former queen Vashti for her refusal to show herself to him and his friends at a drunken party. Now Xerxes is searching for a new queen. His buddies, his king's officials, suggest searching the empire to find beautiful young virgin girls for a contest of which one does the king like best. Xerxes loves that idea, so he appoints agents in each province to take beautiful young virgin girls out of their home and force them into the king's harem. Esther is one of these young virgin girls. She's about 13 years old and has already been through a whole lot in her short little life. Here are the highlights. She's a Jew whose family was forced into Babylonian exile when Jerusalem was destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar. Ooh, I'm getting nervous already. She tragically lost her parents when she was nine years old, and so her older cousin, Mordecai, adopted her as his own. After bouncing around a couple times here and there, they finally settle in the Persian city of Susa. Next, as if she hasn't been through enough, she will be forced from her home once again, this time at the hands of human traffickers who will groom her for an entire year before she is forced into an overnight stay with the king. We never see God's name mentioned even once in the book of Esther, perhaps because of the heinous acts that are depicted here. But one thing is for absolute sure. Esther was on God's heart and his mind and his plan to redeem her and, his, and her nation. Indeed, the world was just about to unfold. The last thing Mordecai tells Esther as she's being taken from their home is not to disclose your nationality. It'll be better if you keep that one a secret. Afraid, and staring into the unknown, Esther is transported to the king's harem. She's assigned attendance and begins her year of grooming. I can't imagine the constant anguish she must have lived with or the many prayers she must have prayed to God to save me, Lord. Save me from this. It reminds me of Jesus when he said, if you will let this cup pass from me, please, would you? Nonetheless, she wins the favor of everyone she comes into contact with. She's loving and nurturing, gentle and kind. The godly character that she displays at such a young age is actually astonishing. Knowing the terror of what is to come, she remains poised. I think she knew that God was with her, but that didn't make it any easier. 
Just after her 14th birthday, she's brought into the quarters of a king who is three times her age and forced to do things no little girl should ever be forced to do. And after Xerxes had robbed her of her innocence, he announced to everyone how much he loved her, that she was his favorite. We romanticize this part, but I don't think Esther was flattered at all. In fact, I think it just further humiliated her. The king put a crown on her head, parading her around as his best arm candy and making her his queen. She had no choice, no say in the matter. The king threw a banquet in her honor, declared a public holiday, gave gifts to everyone. But this was no honor to Esther. It put her most intimate business out in the street. She would no longer be a virgin on her wedding day. She wouldn't be chosen for who she was, but instead for how well she could satisfy a king. What would her friends and family think of her now? I cannot imagine Esther's pain. A victim of human trafficking, physically, emotionally, and spiritually violated, asking God questions like, where are you? How come you didn't save me? Why are you allowing this? Even though it wasn't evident at that time, her honest questions and painful prayers were not falling on deaf ears. God was listening. Can you identify with Esther? Can you remember a time when you walked through deep pain and wondered where God was? Maybe that's happening in your life right now, and if so, there is hope ahead for you. God is with you. Keep praying. Keep trusting. This is not the end. Moving deeper into our story, as hard as it was, Esther settles in and accepts her new role as queen. Esther's uncle Mordecai becomes a well-connected palace official and is liked by a lot of people. Everyone except his new boss, Haman. The king's orders were that everybody show Haman respect by bowing in his presence. But Uncle Mordecai, he's not having it. And, he be and Mordecai becomes the object of Haman's fury. Haman learns that Mordecai is a Jew and devises a plan to destroy him along with all of the Jews. Haman tells Xerxes, there are people in this kingdom that do not obey your laws. They do whatever they want, and for that reason, they should die. So Xerxes said, yes, they should die. And he orders them to be slaughtered in 11 months from that point. Mordecai is mortified, and he sends a message along with a copy of the king's decree to Esther. Esther, Esther and asks her, please, Esther, would you go to the king? Would you beg him? Would you plead for our people? Because he, we're all going to die. And Esther tells Mordecai, I can't do that. I can't do that because... Anybody who goes to the king without being called or summoned, you know it's against the law. If he doesn't invite them in, they'll die. And here we arrive back at our text, Esther 4, 13. This time I'm going to read through, through verse 17. And Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Do not think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. 
If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this? Then Esther replies to Mordecai, go and gather all the Jews of Susa and fast. Do not drink or eat for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same, and then, though it's against the law, I will go to see the king. And if I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. What happens next? I'm glad you asked. After three days of prayer and fasting, Esther puts on her royal robes and goes into the king's hallway. He invites her in and tells her that she can have anything she wants, even up to half the kingdom. Esther asks for a banquet, a banquet between the king, Haman, and herself. They go to the banquet, they're eating and drinking, and the king says, so tell me, Esther, what do you want? And she says, hmm. I think I'd like another banquet with you and Haman, please, tomorrow, same time, same place. There's a lot to unpack here as to why Esther did that, the timing and the history. We don't have time to unpack that, so that'll be for another sermon, another day. Pastor Corey will preach that one. Um, But what I want to get to is this. When Esther finally made her request to the king in chapter 7, verse 3, she asked for her life the lives of her people, her nation to be spared. She told the king that Haman set out to kill them and the king went into a rage. What happened as a result? Haman was killed. Haman's property was given to Esther. The king gave Mordecai his signet ring and Haman's job. The king said, I can't reverse the decree that I made but I can give you the ability to write a new decree that counters it. So Mordecai writes this new decree and says, now all of the Jews are going to be empowered to unite together and to fight to save their life. And what happens when that day comes 11 months later? Nobody rises up against the Jews. In fact, the Jews rise up and kill 500 of their enemies Talk about reversing a curse. Do you ever look back over your life and wonder, what is this all for? Can you remember the times when all you could do was hold on to one scripture or say a one-sentence prayer? Do you see how each of those moments pieced together have created a mural of prayer in your life, one built on the other? Have you ever faced or walked through pain and wondered, why me? I have. Ever asked God to make it stop or, this isn't fair, Lord. If you have, you're in good company. Because like you, like me, and like Esther, Jesus couldn't avoid pain either. He walked through pain in order to triumph over it. Let's let history be our indicator that on the other side of this pain is your victory. I want to encourage us tonight in three short things. Always 
and I mean always, pray through your pain. When it hurts, remember that if God allowed it past his desk, it has a purpose. I remember one time in my life when I was facing something that I did not understand. God had promised me something and it kept not showing up and not showing up. And I was so discouraged. Matter of fact, my life looked opposite of what I thought God said to me. And I called one of my friends who's a prayer intercessor. And I'm like, what's going on? Why is this happening? What are you hearing from the Lord? And she said to me, have you asked God why he allowed it across his desk? Because if he allowed it, then it has purpose. I was like, oh, snap. Okay, then. So if he allowed me to come to it, he's going to bring me through it. You're not a victim. You're becoming a victor. As you crawl and claw and pray your way through this pain, you are becoming victorious in Jesus. He is taking what was meant to actually destroy you and giving you a new destiny behind it. He's doing things in the background that will change history. Don't stop praying through your pain. And when you feel crushed and shattered into a thousand pieces, like your life is a heap of ashes, remember that God made humans out of dust. He makes the most beautiful things out of our ashes. I imagine young Esther opening her Torah, reading through the book of Exodus and remembering how God brought Israel through their pain, delivering them into the promised land and thinking, if he did it before, uh -uh, he will do it again. Yeah, the same God right now. Hey, the same God back then. Okay, if you don't know that song, maybe uh, maybe the Grace Cove worship song, the same God you were before is the same God you'll always be. When we sing those, they are promises. If God never changes, then the God he was in Exodus is the same God he was in Esther. It's the same God he is today and will forevermore be. I think of the times in my life when I walked through deep pain of betrayal, when the ones who were supposed to love me the most hurt me the worst. I remember how God met me. I remember how he became my strength when I was weak. I remember what he forged in me. I see how he used it to encourage someone else. I see his overarching hand of protection in my life. I see how it catapulted me into my purpose. I never imagined that I'd be standing right here at this pulpit with anything encouraging to say to you. But God did it. And he used my pain to bring me here. And when we can pay, pray through our pain, then and only then it becomes possible for us to embrace our purpose. And that's what I want to encourage you to embrace your purpose. Pray through your pain. Let it lead you to your purpose and embrace it. There comes a time when you start to realize it's no longer just about the way that I feel. It's about fulfilling the purposes of God in my life. As Pastor Stella so eloquently said on Sunday, it's not about me. It's about we. Esther realized I'm going to either die in 11 months with the slaughter of all the Jews or I'm going to die if I go before the king and he doesn't extend his scepter. But one way or another, what do I have to lose? 
But we know that God had an altogether different plan. He had a completely different purpose in mind. There's a whole narrative that we miss if we are solely focused on ourselves, on our pain, on the way that we feel. When your pain brings you to the place of purpose, when everything you've been through begins to make sense, when you realize your life is not only about you, but it's about the people that you're attached to, that's when God begins to do his very best work because our eyes are on him and not on ourselves. There is a whole nation of people attached to your purpose and church tonight. I want to tell you your nation awaits. I think of the Disney movie, the lion King. And I think about how Simba just went off into the elephant graveyard. If you have seen the movie, you know, he just let scar have the land. He just went off and did his thing. Him and his girlfriend just hanging out in the, He had to go back and fight Scar after the girl talked some sense into him and said, what are you talking about? You're a king. You better go get your birthright. And he had to go and he had to fight the enemy for the purpose, for his purpose. And you know, I, I remember at the end of that movie when Simba's up on top of the rock looking over Pride Rock and the wind is blowing through his mane and Nala's standing next to him and the land was living and breathing and moving and green and birds and animals and stuff was there that wasn't there before because he took his rightful place. That's his nation that God called him to rule over. What is yours? I'm the oldest of six kids and um, all of my siblings now, we all have kids and some of those kids have had kids. And when I was younger, my mom used to say, uh, when we would all get together, I love this so much. This is my nation. My nation is here. And uh, we were just kind of looking at her like, Hey, she's a little theatrical, a little dramatic. This is just her way of saying she loves us. But now I realize that it's more than that. See, she knew from where she came and she knew that the next generation needed to know prayer, word, truth, all the principles that she was raised on. She was reminding us, this is you. This is your inheritance. This is what you're called to do. This is your identity. These are the things that her nation was built on. And she didn't want us to forget about it. Shortly after that, I went to go visit my grandma who now is 96, but at the time she was maybe 15 years ago, I went and I, uh, my grandmother was just nonchalantly talking about how she prays for everybody in the family, all of her kids, all of her grandkids, all of her great grandkids, all of her nieces, all of her nephews on the day of their birthday every month. So like my birthday is October 29th. So every month on the 29th, she prayed for me. And she filed all of her prayers away in these little three by five cards. And she'd write like one line prayers. And she opened, I said, well, grandma, can I see the prayers you've prayed? And she opened up this big closet with file cabinets of three by five cards with everybody's name on it. And I pulled mine out and I sat and I read the prayers that my grandma prayed for me. And I'm like, grandma, how did you know to pray this? These are prophetic prayers of intercession over my life. My grandmother 
sowed a legacy of prayer into her nation. What legacy are you sowing into yours? Because God has given you a nation. Yes, we all live in the nation of America. We live in America. And some of us are from all over different nations and different parts. And yes, we're called to pray for our nation. And yes, when we fulfill our purpose, we begin to change the world around us. But what is the nation specifically that God has called you to? What am I saying? There's a nation that needs your focus, your prayer, your attention. Your purpose is attached to, to your nation. This is how we win nations of the world for Jesus, by fulfilling our little one little purpose. And when we can realize that our purpose is backed by a holy God to begin with, then we can confidently enter into fasting and praying for the promise When God has already destined, predestined us for a purpose, when we step into fasting and praying, we're just agreeing with what he's already assigned. Fast and pray for the promise, church. Do not give up fasting and praying for the promise. On the other side of Esther's three days was a miracle. It's a miracle that the king invited Esther in. That had never happened before. Deliverance that is attached to a promise, it doesn't come easy. But Esther knew what was hanging in the balance, not only the fate of her nation, but the faith of her nation. Let me say that again. When she invited her nation into this three-day fast, it wasn't only about the fate of her nation. It was about the faith of her nation. You see, Esther invited her community into the prayer battle for their lives, and in the process, together their faith grew in their God. I remember last year when I was going through a tough time, I called up a friend and a prayer warrior, and I asked if she would pray and fast with me for two days. And the request we were making to God was very specific. We were asking God for breakthrough and deliverance. And at the end of two days, God delivered exactly what we prayed for. It really grew my faith and fortified our friendship. The breakthrough that came affected the nation of people who God has connected me with. And it will surely impact the generations to come. What nation is waiting on you to rise up in prayer? What is hanging in the balance? Who do you need to call to fast and pray with you. What deliverance has God asked you to contend for? The nations of the world are groaning for deliverance. Will you answer with prayer? This is why our corporate fasting times are so important. There's power in unified prayer. We contend together. Who is your contending squad? What are you believing God for together? This kind of unity is the kind of prayer. This kind of unity creates prayer that shakes nations awake. Holding on to God. Esther became the powerful heroine of her people. She is the hero of her nation's legacy. 
It took tragedy that led to grief and pain that led to purpose for her to realize it. But God was with her, bringing about his purpose all along. Maybe you're currently grieving the loss of a, loss of a loved one, realizing childhood trauma walking through infidelity in your marriage, being mistreated by friends or alienated by family, suffering job loss, waiting on a spouse, experiencing health challenges, having difficulty with the child, struggling with your identity. Or maybe you just can't figure out what you're supposed to do next in life. I want to encourage us tonight to lean into Jesus. He's got that part figured out. He can handle your questions, your tears, your heartache, and your fear. Again, he walked through pain to triumph over it, and he is with you as you are walking through your pain. He's bringing you through this season, and his purpose awaits on the other side. Keep fasting. Keep praying. Keep talking. Keep moving. Keep going. Your nation awaits. Pray through your pain. Embrace the purposes of God for your life. And fast and pray on a regular basis for God's promise. And watch the nations be forever and ever changed. Church, if you're here tonight and you say, yeah, she's talking to me. Maybe you're not a victim of human trafficking. Maybe you are. Maybe you find yourself in a really low place. Maybe things are good and you have some friends around you who are really struggling. I just believe that God wants to meet us here tonight in this room. That he wants to remind us he hasn't forgotten about you. He hasn't left you. He is for you. And he is orchestrating everything that concerns your life because he has glory to get out of you. He created you with a purpose in mind. And when that purpose comes to fruition, he gets glory. You are a walking testimony of his goodness to the world around you. And church tonight, I just want us to take a minute and consider what is God speaking to you about? What part of this message has hit you in your heart? What area of your life do you need to relinquish to the Lord? What anger do you need to repent from? What heartache do you need to hand him? What friend do you need to reconcile with? What nation is awaiting? I just want us to take maybe a couple minutes and personally reflect the Holy Spirit is here. He's going to speak to you. And I just believe tonight that when we yield fully and say, okay, God, I get it. 
That's when he does his best work. That's when the world around you begins to change. That's when your perspective begins to change and you see God seated on the throne. And you see the train of his robe filling the space around you. And all you can do is say, holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts tonight? Remind us that you're close. God is asking you right now, whatever he's asking from you, of you, I want to encourage you to say yes. tonight, God. The collective mosaic that you're creating out of my life and out of our lives, God, 
we say thank you and we say yes. Use us, Jesus, to impact nations for you. God, bring about your purposes in our life afresh. Remind us, Lord God, that you are with us, that you are for us, that your glory is at stake, that your name is at stake. Take take our eyes, God, off of the thing, off of the circumstance, off of ourself, off of our pain, God, and recalibrate our vision. Make us see you for who you are and for what you're doing. These are the prayers that change the world. We bless you. We honor you. We glorify you. We magnify you. We lift you up. What a worthy king you are. Righteous and holy in all of your ways. Seal this. Seal it in our hearts, God. Make us a people of prayer who change the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen.